Good morning. My name is Brent Angelos. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> I'm Jonathan Sika. I'm uh, one of the staff here at Revolution 22 at our church. And uh, if you're here for the first time, welcome to our church. And uh, if you are, if, how many of you were here last Sunday? Uh, and you guys are back to church? That's, that's awesome. That's good. Last Sunday we heard uh, Danny share the word, and um, we learned what it is for us to be in submission to to God's appointed leaders in our church, right? Remember that stuff? So if that was part two, today is part one of the teaching. So uh, welcome back. <laughs> and we're going to go um, and learn some, some truths that can be a little heavy, okay? So brace yourself. It's going to be okay. And um, if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hands. Um, if you have an app that goes that you can use, that's fine too. I think back there, someone wants a Bible. Feel free to, to borrow. And if you don't have a copy, if you want to get a copy, cannot afford to have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get you a copy somehow, okay? So um, before I get started, I want to mention, well, it's Hebrews 13 from verses 7 through 16. That's today's text, Hebrews 13, 7 through 16. And I, I want this question to, to, to resonate in your mind, in your heart. I'm going to come back to this question over and over again. The question that I want to ask you is this. What are your expectations on this earth as a Christian? What are your expectations on earth as a believer, as a Christian? I think so often we, we, we kind of get caught up with the whole, the afterlife, you know, the whole heaven thing and being with the angels. That's kind of cool and fun. But I think we so often are divided or we have different views on what this life should look like. We had to follow Christ. And I, I'm hoping and praying that God will open your eyes and open your hearts to receive what does the Scripture say about that? Because so often I think the reason why we came to faith or maybe what we have been taught by other people may not be really scriptural as to what this journey of being a Christian should look like. All right? And um, another thing I want to mention as well is um, last Sunday was, was about our, our response in, in submission to our leaders and Today, it's going to show you a little bit about how do these people that God has placed in our lives, how do they live, and how do we model that, okay? So it's looking at us, okay, this is why we are asked, we are commanded to follow our leaders. My first point is in verse 7, Hebrews 13, verse 7, and this is the command. This is the command. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their faith and imitate their faith. The word remember here, it, does, it just doesn't mean to recall a bunch of rules and regulations and laws that someone said. This word actually means to be reminiscent. It's a deeper word, right? You know, we just had Thanksgiving, right? I hope, I hope that all of you had a, a wonderful time with your family and friends. Um, my, you know, uh, from, my, from my wife's side, uh, my kids have lost three out of their four great-grandparents in the last couple of years, okay? And um, even at the, at the dinner at my in-law's place on Thursday, we were looking through this tradition where we write things we're thankful for on little pieces of paper, and we have past notes of what people wrote who were at this table in, the, in past years. And one of my daughters picked up a, a little note that what her great-grandpa had written a couple of years ago. And I could, I, could see, I could see her face change, right? And you can see that she is going back and remembering the interactions that she had, right? All the joys, all the conversations she's, she's had with, with great-grandpa. And that is, what, that is what 
the author is telling us to, to remember, not just rules, to remember what do these people make you feel when they taught you the truth, to go back and be, be with them, right, to remember them in that manner. And the word spoke here, who spoke the word of God to you, the word spoke is not just the usual Greek word that's used, which is lego, not legos, lego, the Greek word. Uh, this word actually means, it's a, it's a prolonged form of the word speak. So it implies this relentless teaching, this persuasion that these, these teachers had. They were never giving up. They were constantly, constantly teaching the word of God to these people. So he's, he's saying, remember how much passionate they were in teaching God's word. And then he says, consider the outcome of their way of life. The, the cool thing is we living so far into, into, into history, church history, right? We know how the outcome was for all these disciples who they are referring to here. So what do you think happened to these disciples? How did they end up? Do you guys know? They ended up dead, right? Persecution. They were killed. All the apostles were killed. John, we don't know what happened, but there's a... But he was persecuted too, but he was abandoned on an island. And then he says, and this is the hard part, he says, imitate their faith. Do what they did. Live the way they lived. And I think so often we, we look at these apostles, we look at Jesus and say, wow, awesome, cool story, right? Do I really want that for my life? It's not that easy. So I am hoping and praying that God will reveal to you what it truly is to be a disciple. Okay, of Jesus. So the first thing is the command for us to remember our leaders who spoke the word of God to us, to consider their faith and then imitate their faith. The second point is, this is the core, okay? In verse 8, it says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He makes this bold statement that just said out, just out there, right? And I was wondering, why, why is this statement made? And I realized that this, this is the foundation. This is... This is the basis of everything that we believe in, our, in the Bible, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we say that, we imply that we believe in the deity of Christ. We believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus, there was never a time that God existed without Jesus, okay? All things were created by Jesus. If anyone teaches you anything but that, if they say, well, Jesus is inferior to God and he's, he's a son, so he's kind of a little lower and his brother is the devil, like, nah, that's not true. Okay? Jesus is God. We believe that. When we state that Jesus is the same as today, today and forever, we also believe in the consistency of the gospel. We believe that the Bible in its whole has one message, and that is the story of Jesus for us. And it's coherent. It, it will not change. The truth will remain the same no matter how many years come and go. And when we say that statement, we also believe in the relevance of the message. Okay? This is where it gets personal, right? Because that's cool that Jesus is God. It's cool that the word is unchanging. But it has the power to transform your life. And I'm telling this with you with, with passion because culture should never dictate what you believe. Scripture should dictate how you, what you believe and how you live. No matter how many years come and go, no matter which country you're from, no matter what is your background or whatever ethnic group you belong to, it doesn't matter. God's word is true. 
This is how we learn to live, not the other way around. Amen? Okay, so that's the core. The next is the caution. Okay, and so keep track with me. You'll kind of see where I'm going with this. Okay, the caution is in verse 9. And the author here is saying, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. So we know what the core is, right? And now he's saying, hey, be careful of what's being taught that's not godly, that's strange. Now, what he's referring to here, the strange teaching, is um, regarding Gnosticism. Okay? Now, the Gnostics were these folks who supposedly have extra knowledge. They knew something that you did not know. And they had a way of teaching truth in a different way. It sounded very interesting. Like, well, it's very fascinating, right? But it was not true. It was a deviation from the truth. They seemed to have the special wisdom that you had to go talk with a specific person to get this new enlightened view of what God is. And the author is saying, don't do that. You have your leaders who've lived before you. You've seen how they lived. You, see how they, you saw how they died. You know what they taught you. You know they lived among you, Right? You know what our core beliefs are. You know who we, tr- who we listen to. Anything apart from that is not scriptural. It's not good. Last week, Danny brought this up and spoke about how we are so influenced by, by the books we read, by the podcasts we listen to, right? Be careful. Be watchful. Because very often, the, 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 the lies are not very, very evident. But when you listen to them more and more, like, hey, wait a second, this is totally taking me off track, right? I remember when I was young, a little, <laughs> little kid, you know, my... When our folks would go out to the fair or whatever, my dad will say, hey, be careful that no one will kidnap you, you know, right? And we would all wear the same color clothes because my dad could spot us out. Mom and I could spot us when we were in the crowd. And I always thought that a kidnapper or a, a robber would, would have these striped shirts on, like, you know, what they see in cartoons with the black, you know, face mask on. But that's not how they look like, do they, in real life? So I think we often have this image of seeing, okay, a false teacher would look with you know, maybe a pointy you know, mustache with a, I don't know, you know how, I'm not sure how you see them, but we have our own view of seeing people in a certain way that's not really true. They might seem like your friend who's, who's leading you aside, right? Maybe you're going through a hard time in your marriage and, and then this, this voice that's not wisdom is speaking lies to you. Maybe you're listening to a, a podcast, maybe you're watching uh, the, a show that's not going to be helpful. So be careful of what you think is truth. We always have to refer back to what, what did Jesus say, what did the apostles say, and what did my leaders say about that? Because God has given us leaders in our church to help us align, to make sure that we have Jesus in a line of sight and, not, and nothing else but that. And the, the refer, reference to not to be eating ceremonial foods, I, I was kind of wondering, God, God what, what's, what's going on over here? Do some research. And then I found that uh, there was a document that was discovered along with other scrolls the, the Dead Sea Scrolls in, I think, 1947 it was, when they uncovered this bunch of scrolls that were old manuscripts of the Bible. There was this document called the Community Rule, or what they call it, they call it now the Manual of Discipline. They found this document, and very surprisingly, it had a lot of rules, like made-up stuff, right? Rules that were being implemented by, by Christians at that certain time. Um, it was... Things about how do you gather together when you come together as a congregation. What, how do you eat? And how do you do penance? If you made a mistake, how, how long should you do penance for before you can join back in the community? It's a lot of little weird little rules that they had made up, which was not in the Bible. 
So there could be a chance, I'm not saying this is the case, there could be a chance that the author is referring to something like this that, that was being taught in the church. So all he's saying is be careful. Be aware of what you're being fed. Okay? So we saw this, the, the caution. The next I want to talk to you about is the ceremony. And here the, the author is, is referring to a very, very commonly practiced ritual or a sacrifice that was in place. In verse 10 he says, We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the blood, but the bodies are burnt outside the camp. So verse 10, it says there's an altar and a minister at the tabernacle who has no right to eat. Now if you look at the Levitical law of the sacrifice for sin offerings, the high priest was allowed to eat the animal, eat the meat of the animal, right? The high priest and the priest and the men in the family were allowed to eat the meat. So I was wondering, what, what is he talking about here? Why is he saying that the priest cannot have? There's no right for the priest to eat this meat. And then I read further and I realized that there was one exception. There was one, one different law that was in place that on the Day of Atonement, okay, the Day of Atonement, when the priest offered a sin offering, that day he wasn't supposed to eat the meat. The blood was fully spilled at the basin, at the base of the altar, and the, and the entire carcass was to be burned outside, outside the camp. So, if you have time, research, research the, the atonement, um, this offering, because it's the, the, the context of this is very, very profound and beautiful. Um, that'll be a whole different sermon if I want to go there, but if you have time, please research that on your own, okay? So what I, what I see in this passage is two things. The first thing is, the first thing is there, there was no physical incentive or benefit in this offering that was offered. The priests had nothing to, they could not benefit in any way from this offering, okay? And the second truth that I see in this is the author here is directing our attention from the tabernacle so outside the camp. He's talking to us about where does the body, the carcass of this animal end up being burnt outside the camp. And this is very important because we have to understand what does it mean to be outside the camp to, to understand what's happening here. Okay? So he's saying, don't look at the tabernacle, but look where this body's been taken. The, 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 the carcass, the dung, the, the hide, the, the hooves, the head, what's happening to it, right? And then in the next verse, the, here's the comparison. Okay? In Hebrews 13, verse 12, he says, And so Jesus also suffered where? Outside the camp, outside the gate, to make the people holy through his own blood. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what does it mean with the phrase outside the camp, outside the gate. Now for us it means nothing, right? <laughs> but back then it meant something. It meant a very horrible place. If you look at Leviticus chapter 13, it talks about how back in the day when someone was found with a skin disease, a rash, or something that they could not understand or couldn't cure, where were they sent to? Outside the camp. If someone was caught doing, committing sin, which was to be punished by death, they would stone this person to death. And where did that happen? Outside the camp. There was no security, no safety, okay, in this place. We see in the New Testament, 
um, in Acts 7. It talks about Stephen. Stephen preaching this beautiful sermon. After he's done preaching, what do they do? They grab him and take him where? Outside the camp, outside the gates. And they stone him to death. You see Paul. Paul's preaching. They, they don't stop for the guy to finish talking, right? They start stoning him in the city, and they, then they drag him out. They think he's dead, and they throw him outside the gate. So outside the camp is the place where there's infections, there's, 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 you're being vulnerable, you have nothing, no property, no family, no friends, and it's, it means death to these people. Inside the camp implies being secure, being safe, prosperity, right? And so this author is saying, Jesus suffered where? Outside the camp. And I, I want to explain this to you because if you don't understand what outside the camp meant, the next verse means nothing to you. Because here's where it gets real. The next verse, and I call this the conviction. When I read this verse, it makes me tremble. Because I think so often as Christians, we don't have this as our expectation. Verse 13 says, Let us then go to him. Where? Come on, church. Where? Outside the camp. Bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city. We are looking for the city that is to come. So I, I want to ask you, why do you follow Christ? Why do you follow Jesus? I think so often, whether we, whether we know it, whether we acknowledge it or not, I think so often Jesus becomes an extra layer of, of security for us. Uh, an insurance policy, right? That I'm going, to do, I'm going to work so hard, and then if I have God on my side, then I can achieve this, right? You know, I'm, I, I got to be better. I got to prosper because Jesus is on my side. I pray to Jesus every day. And I think we've minimized Jesus to, to a genie in so many ways. We see him as an ATM, right? If I punch in these numbers, I got to get this money out. That's how Jesus works in my life. And I'm telling you that nowhere in Scripture does that concept of how we see Jesus true as someone who is here to benefit me in this life, to make me, make me have an awesome, comfortable, cush life. That is not scriptural. That is not biblical. You know, the, the verse that I've heard very frequently that's mis, misquoted, misunderstood, I think, is Jeremiah 29, verse 11, right? You guys know that verse? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We've heard this very often. I've seen this in plaques and everything on people's homes, on Facebook, on the wall, right? The word here for prosper that's used in the Hebrew, do you know what that is? It's, it's shalom. It's peace. It's not wealth. It's peace. And I think so often, the, the teaching you hear, right, the prosperity teaching you hear is, if you have prosperity, that's how you get peace and joy. But God's word says, you don't need that for, for, for joy. You don't need that for peace. I can give you peace that does not depend on your wealth, that does not depend on your health. This comes from me. You know, this, this last couple of weeks have been really hard for me because I've been wondering, God, looking at everything I have in my house, wondering, God, how is this, is this glorifying you? How am I glorifying you through this thing, right? We went to, the, we went to Costco a couple of days ago, to, to, and we bought dog food, okay? 
And I'm wondering, God, how is this glorifying you? Do I need a dog? <laughs> you know? And well, the dog is still there. We fed it food as well, so it's all good. But, but I, think, I think we should ask questions about everything we do, everything we own. And say, God, my ambition to do well at work, why is that? Why do I crave to do more? Why do I want to get more money? Am I honoring you in that? Am I seeing you? Am I seeing my... Which is more important to me right now? Those of you who go to school, to BSU, you know, is, is your need to achieve an education your ultimate goal in life as a Christian? If that's the case, then you're living in the camp. You're trying to find ways to be more comfortable, to be more successful. Now, I'm not saying that being rich is wrong, okay? Don't get me wrong. The Bible has a lot of examples of people who are wealthy, who use their wealth to honor God, to serve God. I know people in our church who are wealthy who are wonderful believers of God, who give generously. So when God gives wealth, he gives it for us to use it for his kingdom. But if your goal, if your ultimate goal is to be a successful human being in this earth, you're missing the point. You're fully missing the point. So I pray, I really pray that God will, will convict you this morning of where does your treasure lie? Really, what is, what is the focus of your existence? Is it comfort or is it honoring God? Is it your hobbies? What do you think about the most? What would you sacrifice everything for? You know, Danny and I were talking last week about the teaching, and uh, he made a very good point. Most people, whether you're a Christian or not, most people like Jesus. You know, it's hard to find someone who says, I don't like Jesus. Not very often you'll find someone like that. Even an atheist will say, yeah, I think he was a cool guy, right? Most people like Jesus. And I think everyone here likes Jesus, right? You guys like Jesus? Okay, that's good. I'm happy. Okay. Now, I, I think I would go on further to say that I think most of us here love Jesus. Fair enough? I think most of us love Jesus. I think most of us want to, want to know more about Jesus. We, we read the Word. We pray. But I think this is the hard part. I think most of us don't really want to be like Jesus. He's a great story. He's a great role model. But do I want to live like him? If he's going to be out there, out there, outside the camp, and he says, come and follow me, do I want to go out there? Because I've got too much stuff here. I've got a lot of comfort here, and I don't know if I can give it up for the sake of the gospel. So I, I want to really challenge the way you think Christianity should look like. Now, thankfully, we don't live in a place where there is persecution. We don't live in a place where it happens. It does happen, but not in the way we read about it on the news, even this week. But I want you to be in a place where you can drop everything and go serve God if he says go that you will be able to drop everything and follow Christ. Is your comfort too much, too much that you don't want to give up? Do you love the world too much? Because that's what it boils down to, that you love the world more than God, if you have a struggle thinking about it. The next point I want to talk about is the commonplace, okay? This is found in verse 15 and 16. It says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good, and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. I was like, man, just now he spoke about walking outside your comfort and leaving everything and going to this ugly, dirty place and to align yourself with Jesus and his suffering. And then he says, now offer a sacrifice of praise. Like, oh, thank you, God. And the beauty of this is you can be thankful because your joy is not in the stuff that you have. It's in, in who he is to you and how much you know God and how much you want to please God, that these things does not, do not matter. 
the, the reason why I use the word commonplace is because this word has lost its meaning. Um, today it means boring, mundane, repetitious, right? But commonplace is, is a concept where there are certain topics, like even in our home too, that we can talk and joke about, right? And it's like a known thing. It's understood that this is okay. There's no harm in talking about it. That should be how these things that, is, that are mentioned here should be our commonplace in the church. Being joyful, rejoicing, no matter what's happening, that we should rejoice. And I think so often our, our sorrow, our worry comes because we don't get what we want in this life. Our earthly desires are not met. So now we are depressed. We are, our, my truck would not work well, right? You know, my Jeep has issues, right? Stuff that is just stuff that, that can pull us down. The other thing is um, professing his name. How often do we talk about Jesus at work? If, if truly, if no one knows that you're a Christian at work, there's something really wrong with that. You're living in comfort. You're living in the camp and not risking to be, to be truthful about who you are. If no one at work knows that you're a believer, and I don't believe that, that only if you say, well, that's my life. You know, I want to show God through my life. If that's, your, if that's your response to what I'm saying, that is not scriptural either. <laughs> okay? Show me the Bible, but someone just did not preach the gospel, but just showed it through their life, and someone got saved. It doesn't happen that way. Are you, are you broken? Are you hurting for people at work, your neighbors who don't know Jesus? Are you praying for them? Are you waiting for every opportunity to share the gospel with someone who does not know the gospel? I would challenge you to do that. And then it says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. Generosity should be, should be the theme of our lives, should be a commonplace discussion. I love that our church, I've seen generosity displayed in our church. I know people with skills that I cannot do will come and help, just serve and do stuff. I know people in our church who are sick, where our church members go and show up and clean their bathrooms and clean their houses for them, mow their lawns for them. I know, well, this guy here was in a motorcycle wreck, right? And for, I think, I think three months, we were taking care of the meals. I know over and over again, people in our church have stepped up to be generous because money is just one part of being generous. That's not everything. When you serve here every Sunday and setting up and tearing down, that is amazing. That is serving God. That's being generous with your time, with your talents. I, when I talk to people about how long we've been doing the setup and tearing down every Sunday, last night too, we were talking to some friends from another church. They were, they were saying, aren't they burnt out? <laughs> but I'm, I see faces that come here every Sunday who are joyful in doing it. That is being generous. When you share your vehicles for someone to use, they need a truck, they're moving, and you say, here are my keys, that is being generous. When you say, hey, I play the guitar, do you want to learn to play the guitar? I can show you to play the guitar. I can show you to sing. I can teach you to sing if you want to sing. That is being generous. So I challenge you to continue to be generous. When we talk about money, it's not awkward because that's what we do as a church. When we see a need, we jump in, we, we help, we chip in. We do everything we can to be a blessing to those around us, okay? And let's continue to be that. So this is, this is the part that I think we have to kind of tie together where last week we learned about how we have to be in submission to our, to our elders, right? Remember that last week? And this week we, we see how the apostles lived and how we ought to look at Jesus as the goal who's outside the camp and we walk towards Jesus. Now God has placed teachers and leaders and elders in our church for us to learn from. And very often, sometimes we, we don't, we don't have the right perspective. We don't see Jesus. We are seeing our jobs. We're seeing our career. We're seeing you know, all these other things. And God places these people in our lives and say, hey, Jonathan, what's going on? Why, why are you doing this? 
You know, I want you to think, consider what you're doing. Is this honoring God? Are you glorifying God in this decision that you're making? And that's the part that we have to play. Is to say, God, I want to be humble. And say, God, I don't know what to do right now. Can you pray with me to make this, this, this decision for my family? Am I honoring God in this decision? So I, I challenge you to have a, a posture of humility in talking about the struggles that you have. If you're not sure how am I honoring God with what you have, with your time, or whatever that is, let the people that God has placed in your life over you to have a say in this, that they can influence you, that you can model their faith as they model the, the faith that has been shown to them by the apostles and through Jesus. Amen? Because you're tracking with me. I want to share one more thing. We're going to partake in communion this morning, okay? And I think this is a good expression for us to, to kind of put what we've heard into practice. So this morning, if, if you have been, maybe this is a new thing for you, that you haven't heard what the walk of a Christian should look like. Maybe this is a new thing for you. I want you to think about that, all right? And we have the elements of the communion back there in the, in the room, and I want you to think of this, this journey of you walking from your seat to the table as as a reminder of the fact that you are walking from the camp to outside the camp to meet Jesus. If you believe that you are a Christian and have chosen to follow Christ, that we are called to leave the camp and walk us to the camp and to be with Jesus there, to align with his suffering. So I want you to make this, this journey a, make it a prayerful one. And if you have children with you, I want you to tell them what that means, what it means to follow Christ. Tell them what they, what, what's the cost of following Christ. And Jesus says this over and over again, take up your cross and follow me, over and over again. And if you have been using Jesus as a, as a way to just get more comfortable, if all your prayers have been, God, give me, God, give me this stuff, if that's been your heart, I pray that you'll repent. You have made God so small in your life. If that's what you've been doing, you'll confess. Confess to your spouse. Pray with your family. Be vulnerable. I want to leave you this, with this verse. First Peter 4 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange was happening to you, were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I'm going to pray. And then we'll have the band playing some music. And I want you to prayerfully make this journey from your seat to the table to get the sacraments. And I want you to wait, okay? Don't eat it. Don't drink it. Wait in your seat or wait back there if you want to wait back there. And we are all going to eat this together and drink this together as a body in Christ. So let's pray. Dear God, God, thank you for your word. We have taken you lightly, God, so often. We've made you small by the way we talk to you. We have dishonored you, God by not valuing what's important to you. And this morning, as we are rem reminded that we ought to suffer, we ought to be open to suffering, God. And that's what marks us as a Christian. I pray that you will, you will remind us of, of how much you have sacrificed for us, that we'd be willing to sacrifice the same, that your gospel may be preached, that we may glorify you, God. We love you, God. In our precious name we pray. Amen. <laughs>